Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 231 with Rob McLeod. How are you, Rob? I'm doing great. That's uh, 231 is a lot. That's amazing. It, it is, man. I've had some great guests. I'm really excited for today. Now, let's talk about it. Six Guinness World Records, 13 World Championships. We're going to talk about, mate, you are Mr. Frisbee, the global name. What age did you first pick up a Frisbee, though? Was it like love at first sight? Good question. One I do not get asked a lot, actually. And I think it was probably like most people when I was six or seven years old, we just had a Frisbee. It wasn't a very good one. Um, didn't really play with it a lot. And then I was actually exposed to Frisbee multiple times as a kid. And so it's kind of like each time I was exposed, I, I learned a bit more about it, but I was still busy playing, you know, hockey and track and field and rugby and soccer and all these other sports. And it's like, cool. Playing catches is fine. Throwing's fun, but there wasn't really an opportunity for me to actually do more with it. And so by the time I actually had the chance to do more, I'd probably been exposed to Frisbee and played five or six times in my life. Um, and so I really got into Frisbee um, after high school. So when I was, you know, between 17 and 18 years old was when I really first got into it. So you, when you picked the first up, it wasn't, uh, what do they say in movies, love at first thought, you locked eyes with that Frisbee. It was something to be, you planted a seed, obviously you must have enjoyed it. Yeah. And one of my earliest memories was playing with this tiny little disc and we were at the, the ocean in Eastern Canada with my family. And I think I was playing with my sister and it ended up floating away and who knows, maybe it ended up in Australia. I don't know. <laughs> and I just remember like how sad I was that I lost that little frisbee. And uh, yeah, that was one of my first memories. You know, it's cause I wasn't a great thrower. My, my dad, my mom, nobody was a great thrower. And so my first memory wasn't of like watching a Frisbee fly through the air, which I've interviewed a lot of people and a lot of people, that's their first memory was they just love the flight of the disc. And a lot of people were also exposed to it, to it a bit later in life. And so that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, my first memory, haven't talked about that in a while, but yeah, losing <laughs> a disc. <laughs> so do you reckon it was sort of like, uh, you know, it again, I'm not going to talk about movies all the time, but uh, people rock up to the beach and there's a, there's a bottle with a message in it. Do you think somewhere in the world, your disc changed someone's life? <laughs> Never thought about that. Um, that would be pretty awesome if it did. It was only a tiny little Frisbee, but maybe it changed another kid's life somewhere. That's, that's I like, that could be a movie. We could, we could. There we go. There you go. There's, uh, there's something you say you talk to, Rob. I like that. So let's get back to it. So once you, obviously Frisbee, when you throw, I'm not, I'm an average, like below par throw, but when you throw that Frisbee and it just glides, like it's so relaxing, it's so peaceful, it's so nice. Did you instantly, were you like, were you a natural? Because some people can pick things up and just be a natural. Others, it, you know, it takes a lot of work, like a lot of different skills. So was that something, you know, when you said you were 16, 17, 18, that really came natural to you, Rob? Yes and no. Uh, in high school, I was uh, into shot put and discus and also 100 meters. And so I was very accustomed to trying to see how far I could throw a discus or a shot put. And so, of course, when I picked up the disc, I was like, well, how far can I throw this? And so really all I practiced in the beginning was one disc. I'd see how many throws it took me to get to the other end of the field. And then I'd come back and try and beat that. And so I was just trying to learn how it actually flew. The first little bit, I don't think I was natural, but I just did it every day. And you know, that 10,000 hour rule. Um, 
And then my mom actually passed away about eight months after I first was sort of throwing my own. And then that got me more into throwing. And I think I'd only been throwing for about a year and a half. And I was probably the longest thrower in Eastern Canada at that point, just from the shop at the discus, just practicing a lot. And so it, it did take some time, but I think because of the other sports, I was more attuned to throw frisbees than other people might have who have never played a sport and just picked up a disc. Yeah. And sorry to hear about your mum, mate. It, did you, it sounds like, you know, frisbee was a form of mindfulness for you that you could really zone out and just putting everything into throwing it. Did you reckon that helped with obviously morning and um, while you're doing that, you're obviously perfecting a, a new skill. hundred percent. Yeah. It's uh I don't talk about it a lot, especially in schools, because I don't want to get emotional and start crying in front of kids. But um, it's been, you know, it's been 20, 20 years since that happened. And so I've been throwing frisbees for over 20 years. But no, absolutely, I would just go by myself for a couple hours and just throw frisbees and discover the flight. And it was just my way of just, you know, that was the only sport she never saw me play. She was such a big supporter of all the other sports that I that I played. So I felt like you know, it was my way of giving back to her and having her watch me and be proud of me doing something. And it's just fun. You know, each time you go out, you're throwing this, you learn something new or somebody gives you a tip. And then the next time it's a little further. It's, uh, it's such a cool toy. Uh, I, I love it, mate. And I think that's, I think we've, like we're talking before, you know, you're in Canada, it's the lockdown. I don't want to talk about COVID, but I think it is so important that people have that form of play or that one thing in their life that, that they love doing, they are perfecting a skill. And when they do it, they do it by themselves and zone out. Um, it is, uh, you know, some people color, do jigsaw puzzles, whatever that is. It's so important. And do you find that, you know, when you talk about this, that you're so passionate about it, that people realize maybe other things in their life that they get that release from? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. And one of my favorite stories was, I think she was in seventh grade and we were doing some frisbee tricks. This was a workshop would have been about a year and a half ago. And she couldn't get this, the, the skill that I was working, that I was having them work on. And, and I'm like, okay, well, what's something you like to do in your life? And she mentioned horseback riding. And I was like, okay, well, what happens when you can't do something horseback riding? And she was able to link frisbee to horseback riding. And so I think next time she went back out on the horse, it was like, oh, I just have to keep trying. It's okay to fail. And so sometimes I think people get caught up in, and I get caught up in this too, but you only do something you're good at. And so when you try something that you're not very good at, it kind of flips the perspective a bit for people. And uh, for me, there's a lot of different things within Frisbee. So there's still a lot within Frisbee that I'm not good at, that I'm still trying and getting better at. But for a lot of people who have protected or um, perfected a certain sport to just try and throw a Frisbee, it can be very humbling. But like you said, they can take that idea back and that feeling back to their sport and actually kickstart maybe some new discovery within it yeah so true do you do you find that people are scared of failure that's why they uh don't want to try something new or they stick to what they're good at is that something that the society we live in today that i don't know people you don't don't want to be not good at something and then that way or i'm not gonna i'm just not gonna try yeah and i find it's it's really a big age thing you know working with five and six year olds you ask for a volunteer every single hand goes up, you know, you work with 15 and 16 year olds, you ask for a volunteer and they're all, no one wants to do it. And so they're, they're afraid of looking silly. So it's not, I don't think it's so much of a fear of failure. It's more of a fear of being judged, um, of not doing something. And I've actually seen it where you have a great athlete who holds back because they don't want to be judged for being too good at something either, which, which is an interesting concept that a lot of people may not understand, but 
sometimes when I go to field just to practice, you know, it's like, am I, I'm not showing off I'm practicing, but because I'm really good at it, it's people might think like, Oh, he's just, um, you know, so kids call it flexing or like, Oh, you flexing. And I'm like, I'm not flexing. Like I'm just practicing and I'm just happy yeah. to be really good at this thing. It's um, it is a funny concept and I feel it's got worse since our lives are a highlight reel on social media. And, um, that's something that's here to stay. Like, let's be honest, it's only going to get more prevalent wherever we go. How do we turn that in from, you know, people being scared to try something new and fail or people you call it flexing. I, I love it. It's tall poppy syndrome. We always shoot down, you know, the number one, how do we, you know, work ar- around this? Because like you said, young kids, five, six, seven, they will give everything go. They don't care. They don't feel judged, but the older we get, you're talking about older kids, whereas adults are exactly the same. You go in, into a room and say, who will do this? they all sitting on their hands. Like what, what's the way around this role? Yeah. And I actually see that with teachers where they're trying the tricks and they fail a couple of times and then they just give up and they go help other kids in the class. And I've watched, you know, adults do that. I've also watched adults keep trying and, and being okay with failing and setting an example. Um, but like you mentioned, it's this idea of a highlight reel. So I think one of the solutions that I promote is getting unplugged, getting away from screens. And so I think really it's, just shutting it off. And so instead of watching people do what they're good at, just go discover what you enjoy. And it's, you don't even have to be good at it, but the more practice you put in, the better you'll be. And some people will say, oh, I'm just doing this because it's fun for me, but practicing and failing and learning and trying and getting better. It's really fun to throw a Frisbee super far. You know, it's not very fun to not understand how a Frisbee doesn't fly or not very fun to not throw it well. And so sometimes people's personalities they know that if they go down that rabbit hole, there's no turning back. And so they (laughs) protect themselves from like (laughs) turning it into their thing. Um, I definitely have that, you know, ability sometimes to take something on that, like, I shouldn't do this, but, and so I hold myself back, but yeah, I I just think like stop looking at other people and just, you know, focus on what we can do. And, and also, you know, if somebody might be my age, but I've been playing Frisbee for 20 years, they might've just started in Frisbee. And I also say to people, I might be good at Frisbee because that's my thing. And a lot of times I'm around people when I'm doing my thing, but their thing is also, you know, very cool. Like a friend of mine is a welder. I'm better at Frisbee than he is, but he can weld, he can build things that I can't, Um, you know, he's a father of two kids. And so it's just understanding like, you know, we have our thing, they have their thing and we can share and learn from each other in that. I love that, man. It really comes down to that comparison that everybody's different and, and, Lucky we are because it'd be so boring if we're all the same. Um, and it's about embracing people's qualities and the things they're good at and not being inferior and thinking, oh, I'm not as good. I'm not going to do that. Or they're too good for me. So we're not going to worry about that. Like, I'm sure you're not going to get the MIG welder out and go and do some welding and put holes all through posts and things like that. But it's nice to know that you both have skills and qualities because that's how we grow as individuals and as friends, isn't it? Absolutely. And I've, I've been to a lot of schools that have uniforms. And I've read research about uniforms and how it reduces certain things like bullying and obviously comparing because, you know, one kid has the really expensive pants, another kid doesn't have the very expensive pants. And so, you know, there, there's value there um, in uniforms. But if you ask kids what they want, they want the ability to wear the clothes that they enjoy. They want the ability to do their own hair. Just like if everybody had the exact same name, you know, how much fun would that be? Um, <laughs> and so it's sometimes challenging people and saying, like, is this actually what you want? What's the alternative look like? And when you start thinking about the alternative, sometimes you realize that where we are is actually pretty good. You know, we're, we're yeah. not doing too, too badly. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, mate. I love that. And hopefully people listening, they can take a lot of different things out of that sort of interaction we just had there about and relate it back to their life, their friends, family, and the connections they have. But Rob, you're here today because you are the Frisbee King. I love this. Six Guinness World Records. Can you tell me, I don't know, maybe pick your top three. Um, I want to, I want you to share with them because uh, I know there's one I really like about your dog. Um, I think this is a cool one. So do you want to share some of those? Because I think these are awesome, mate. Yeah, for sure. My favorite is the dog. Um, so I set it in 2012. It was a record that I think had been unbroken for 18 years and it's the longest throw to a dog. And it also was the first time that a dog has ever caught a frizzy uh, over 400 feet away. And so he was my best friend, my teammate. He passed away three years ago, sadly. Um, but just an amazing time to be able to spend with him. And dogs are very humbling because they don't really care if they win or lose. For them, it's just getting to be with you. And so whether I travel and we get on a plane, we go you know, all the way to you know, 36 hours away, or I just go out in the field you know, next to my house, dogs don't really care. And so a lot of it, we're doing it for our own egos. And so if we don't win, it's like, again, the dog doesn't care. So what does that mean for me? And um, changed my life, just the people I met from that, getting to set a record. So I was actually into Guinness Book of World Records. He actually had his photo in the book. So I didn't have my photo in the book, but he had to catch the Frisbee. So I guess it's, you know, he's that was the star. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. My name was in the book, which was neat. And then there's actually three records that I set for on ice skates. And so I would throw the Frisbee skate and catch it. And that one I, I really love. And so it's total time in the air, total distance from where I threw it to where I caught it. And then there's the last one is a combination of the two. And so it's, you know, very similar to, you know, shot put or discus in track and field. It's a field, field discipline. And Frisbee is a lot like track and field, actually. There's a lot of different disciplines. And so those would be my favorites, the one to him and then the, the records on ice skates. Because the one I know I've got a dog and um, trying to throw the Frisbee to her and get it back. It might work a few times, but then after a while, you don't get the Frisbee back because she's chewing it. So um, what was the hardest part about that? And, and what was the, the end distance? Because that for you personally to throw that far, but then to coordinate it, to understand when you can't communicate with someone, that's, hey, that's so impressive. Yeah, it was amazing. We did five days of attempts and you're limited to 15 attempts per day. With, uh, with Guinness, they don't really limit you, but we did it through the World Flying Disc Federation who governs all Frisbee. And so we did three attempts in August and it was pretty hot outside. And so there was a couple of times where he would get the disc and run past me and lay in the shade for a while and then bring it back when he was ready. But we had, so 75 throws, we only had four catches. One day we had no catches. And then the last day we had um, the second throw was the world record. And so a lot of people don't realize like we had to fail you know, 61 times before we set the world record. And there's a lot of people that just give up after one or two tries. And so I, I'm very open about failing and learning from failure and things like that. But he, he worked hard for me. He really wanted to go chase that Frisbee and we never used the Frisbee as a toy. It was like, that's, that's his purpose. When we got to a field, he would go after that. And so I always keep the Frisbees away and he loved to play with tennis balls and bones and things like that. But it was even in our practice sessions, I'd only ever throw four or five throws and then would take a break. Cause I don't want him getting tired of it. Um, I don't want to you know, wear him out because there's a lot of dogs that'll just keep going and to the point of exhaustion. And so it's important to, to set those boundaries. 
I think that's a, it's a really interesting point you just make there. It's sort of like um, guide dogs. Do you know what I mean? When when they've got that harness on, they're working and don't pat them and things like that. But when that harness comes off, um, that's you're very particular in your training uh, around that, it sounds like. Yeah, I was actually out yesterday. So I have another dog that I'm competing with now. And so the dog I set the record with is a Whippet. And that distance was 134 yards, so 402 feet. So almost one and a half football fields. So he was a pure whippet. The one I'm competing with now is a border whippet. So more drive, uh, but same kind of off switch where, so he's like sleeping passed out right now underneath the desk. <laughs> but if I had to get a Frisbee, I'm like, let's go outside. He's ready to go. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very important to just, you know, be aware of that and understand that for sure. Mm, I couldn't agree more. And so that's really uh, the, the ones on ice because, there's, it's not just throwing the frisbee. There's other skills involved in there. And obviously you're talking about, you know, Graham Canada, ice skating is a big thing, hockey and things like that. So you have to work on, you know, throwing, catching and skating as well. What, how did that all come about? And, and did it take long for those records? And once you got one, you just like, I want more. Yeah. I, I met the former world record holder in 2011 and I already knew about the records because at that point I had already set a record and I was just like fascinated by what was actually possible and meeting him. He encouraged me to go after the record. He is from Minnesota. And so Minnesota, you know, these are the Minnesota North stars of the NHL. They're the Minnesota wild now. So known for, you know, a lot of skating and big hockey plays. And he said that he was hoping either a Canadian or a Swedish um, Frisbee player to go after it because there's not many places where you have someone who's a good thrower and a good skater. It's usually one or the other. And so I actually grew up figure skating and playing hockey. And so once I learned to throw, it was a natural for me to combine them. And his records, I think he'd only ever attempted them once. And so he didn't really get a chance to push them to be really big. And so my first attempts, it was easy to break them, but then it kept getting tougher for me to break my own records. And now I think one of the records is unbreakable um, because I've attempted those records officially over the course of like seven years but i've had thousands of practice throws and the record is that was the best you know attempt or the best throw i've ever had for that one record and it's 14.14 seconds where it was in the air um and so to actually do that again i don't think i don't want to say nothing's nothing's possible <laughs> i kind of think it's like it's it's pretty tough to get that number and so that's that makes me happy that you know i was able to get such a good number but it's also caused me to shift my focus a little bit and it, it is temperamental as well because you have to have the perfect conditions. It can't be too cold. Um, cause then the ice is brittle and you just don't want to be out there. Um, or sorry, the Frisbee gets brittle. And then if it's too warm, then the ice gets really soft and melts and then you can't actually skate you know, very fast through it. And so I'm actually going to be attempting the inline world records this summer. So they don't actually exist. So I'm actually going to be establishing them, but I'm excited because I love rollerblading. And so to actually throw the Frisbee and on rollerblades, try and catch it is going to be, it's going to be a challenge um, to find a space that's actually big enough is going to be really, really tough. Yeah. Cause that's what I'm thinking. Obviously the air condition would have a huge impact on the Frisbee and particularly if you're on ice, <laughs> the, the air condition is as warm as in summer. So um, with the Frisbee and, and on ice skates and rollerblades, how hard is it to get, you know, that center of gravity and using your lower body to get that whip because your feet aren't planted like they normally are in, in runners or shoes. Yeah, for sure. And on ice, you can come to a stop. So you can plant the blade in the ice. And so that's what I ended up doing. 
because I, I wasn't able to get as much flight on the disc as I would in the summertime because of the wind, or sorry, the, the cold air, it's a lot thinner. Um, so I didn't get as much sort of glide in the air. And then um, just the disc behaved differently in the cold weather, but I can skate faster than I can run. And so I was able to catch up to the disc. So I changed the flight a bit. On the inline skates, for me to plant, I don't think makes sense. I haven't actually tried it yet because I haven't found a space yet that I can actually practice. So I've been practicing just getting in better shape and, and getting out rollerblading a lot because it's also on ice skates. You can go down on the ice and dive. I don't want to be diving on inline skates on concrete. <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting experience for sure. I love it, mate. And I think it's fascinating that you're just finding new ways to keep adding to those records. Um, and yeah, good luck with that. I think uh, finding a space, um, I was obviously, there's not many places probably in the world that you could do the ice skating ones. I know obviously living in Australia, good luck. Like there's no way that we could do it over here, but then also in line. So if you're doing that inside, does that mean your throw trajectory has to change? And there's, there's so many different biomechanics sort of factors and conditioning with your body that you've just mentioned. Yeah. And I'm looking at maybe doing it at a, like an airport, maybe at the runway. I'm not really sure what I basically need a football field of space in all directions. It's kind of the, the, you know, about hundred yards, 110 yards in all directions is what I probably need, but you want it to be nice and smooth. Um, so the inline skates, like when people are competing on inline skate races, it's an oval. And so that ground would be perfect, but it's not, you know, big space. It's just an oval. Uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely playing with the trajectory. You want to throw it into the wind and have the wind hold the frisbee up and have it come back. And so it's really neat because it's a lot of physics that that go into it. And and something that I actually shifted this year, I actually had um, a friend of my a friend of a friend. So he was I think he's eight years old. He just set the under nine world record. And so I'm trying to get more kids to actually explore what's possible. And so he now has three world records, and he's eight years old. And so that was pretty cool. Wow. And it's just, it's showing other kids what you can do. And, you know, no matter what age you're at, we call Frisbee the ageless game. So no matter what age, wage, or stage, you can get out and play. So we have, you know, two-year-olds, we have a hundred-year-olds playing Frisbee. Uh, and I, that's what I mean. I think it's fantastic. And you play it anywhere. You know, you go to the beach, you see people playing the park. Um, you go to Frisbee golf is huge now all around the world. Um, so it's a sport that can be played anywhere and you, you can play by yourself. You can play with an animal. I, I absolutely love it. So like you just said there, you, you've got an eight-year-old who's got three world records, which is incredible. Like I couldn't even really read or write at that age. Do you know what I mean? Like, and he's got three world records. What a, what a champion. Um, what's, what are you most proud of when you, you know, you introduce Frisbee to young little superstars um, or, or older people, what are you most proud of, of the impact that you're having? Yeah, for sure. It's that question's changed over the years. And I guess my answer now would be just knowing my role within that. And so for a lot of kids that I'm introducing Frisbee to, that's the first time that they've ever heard of or seen Frisbee. And so I'm making it really fun for them. And so I know that just like myself, that may not be what gets them into Frisbee. It might be another, five years before they play it again. And then another five years before they play it again. But just to make that first step, that first introduction, super fun, really engaging, showing them all the things that are possible. Um, it's just, it's a really great opportunity for me to have. And I also love that it's getting, it's, it's creating opportunities for people to spend more time as friends and family. And so this eight-year-old, for example, Lucas, him and his dad, like I didn't really work with him much because of COVID. Him and his dad spent a lot of time practicing and training together. And so it was a great opportunity for them to actually you know, have that time together 
bonding as a father and a son. Um, you know, Lucas, I, I've been told, hadn't really found his thing before. Like his twin sister, figure skating is her thing. And so it was really cool for him now to find his thing and uh, for the family to, you know, rally around that and come together for something. Yeah. And again, it's, it's not, it wasn't me that was out there doing it. It was the two of them spending that time and, and just knowing my role and what my limitations are and what I can try to pass on as far as knowledge and resources to people is, is what I'm really trying to explore. And I think what you're saying there is that planting a seed, um, some seeds grow quicker than others. Do you know what I mean? And it was probably similar to yourself when you said you picked up a Frisbee at a young age, but you didn't actually pursue that to, you know, you were in your late teens. And I suppose that's something right now that, you know, you're a global ambassador. You are Mr. Frisbee. That's what you're doing. Some seeds grow faster than others. And um, that must be pretty rewarding that you don't see, you know, the fruits of that seed straight up, but it does take time. But whereas some people like Lucas said, you've encouraged that, you've given them the skills and you've made a beautiful bond and connection that Lucas and his father may not have had without that Frisbee. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people can relate to this, especially people listening to the show who work with kids or, you know, teachers and things like that, where, you don't always see the impact of what you're doing until it's years later. And so it's sometimes it's people give up because they don't know that they're having an impact um, until somebody comes back 20 years later and says, I remember when you were my teacher in first grade and you said this and it really stuck with me. And so keeping those stories in mind, a lot of my friends have been doing Frisbee for 50 or 60 years and they were the you know original ambassadors of the sport. And so trying to continue on their legacy, the work that they've done um, keeps me going you know, even in those times where I feel like nobody cares, nobody appreciates what I do and I'm not doing it for the appreciation. I do it because I love it. It's something I'm good at. There's just so much possibility and potential with it. But, but yeah, it's, you got to kind of think about, well, why am I doing this? And what do I need from this to keep going? Because for some people, especially, you know, the last year with COVID, it's, they've probably been asking themselves that question a lot. Yeah, and and I'm sure they have. Exactly right. We've all had those sort of testing times for sure, Rob. So um, just listening to that there, I think if you really think about it, there are people, there's mentors that have had a huge influence on your life. And I know there's a couple that I talk about quite a lot that sort of really helped me through high school and I looked up to two teachers. Have you had similar people in your life that, um, you know, have really changed the trajectory that you're going and influenced you, particularly with Frisbee. Are there a couple of mentors out there that really changed your life? Yeah. And it's, I think about this a lot. My favorite Rudy movie is actually Rudy. And so Rudy always talks about, you know, the couple of people in his life that had an impact. And for me, it's, there are some people in the sport, but it's my dad really had an impact. My mom had an impact. My girlfriend has had a huge impact. Um, just believing in me and supporting me and encouraging me. Um, I've had definitely some recent people, my CEO, Ed, who's helped with this emotional intelligence work that I'm doing. Just having someone believe in you is so powerful. But I'd say the main people for sure is uh, my friend, Jack Cooksey, who, so I, I've been playing ultimate for about 10 years, kind of heard about disc golf and dog disc. And then Jack was like, oh, there's this thing called the overall. So it's uh, similar to a heptathlon and track and field. And he invited me to the world championships no idea what I was doing, took a week off of work, went down to Colorado. So about a 20 hour drive from where I live and it changed my life. That week changed my life. There's many of those people I'm still in touch with. And then Dan Roddick, who his nickname Stork and he's like the godfather of Frisbee. He's in every single hall of fame. He was involved with Whammo back in the seventies, planning events and planting seeds for many people and very fortunate to call him a friend and a mentor. That's uh, isn't it funny where 
I think if you're open to new ideas and you and you're just like, all right, sounds good, and and somebody you trust and uh, has had an impact on you says, come along, um, because you've got 13 world championships now. Um, like, isn't it amazing when you just say, I'm going to have a week off work and you give something a crack? Yeah, and at that point, I did not have any world championships. I don't think, or I think I might have had one Guinness record, but I was still just so so new to all of this, right? So new to all of this, and it still my mind gets blown to this day. There's things that happen where I'm like, well, I can't even believe that just happened. Or I can't believe that this is, you know, an opportunity that I have. Um, a couple of years ago, I was contacted by someone on Instagram. We'd become friends and he brought me to Israel for, you know, I think it was four weeks in total or something. And uh, just amazing that a piece of plastic could change a life. But there's even little moments where friends of mine have just made one little tip and it helped my throw. And then because of that, it accelerated my learning that then I could take that into my world record attempts and it helped that. So just tiny little things where people notice and it's, it's not like there's all these trade secrets, like people are very willing. Sometimes they're almost <laughs> too willing to share when you don't want to hear it, but um, people are always willing to, to give you some tips and advice, which has been very helpful. I, I love that. I think uh, the best advice you can give someone is the knowledge that you have and share that with them because when you watch them grow, that is so beneficial for everybody involved. So Rob, Global Ambassador of Frisbee, people are like, where can we find you? Where's the best place to find you? Get motivated, watch some of the amazing stuff you're doing. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Just Google Frisbee Rob. So I have um, website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, stayed away from TikTok. I have put a few things on TikTok, but not too much. And I stay away from Snapchat and I don't even know if Snapchat is a thing still. Um, but yeah, it's just trying not to get out there, you know, spread myself too thin, but my main focus is for sure in schools, just trying to actually teach people in person instead of putting too much online and it can be, it can be a lot. And so um, I really love just getting, getting discs in kids' hands and showing them how to throw and watching them throw. Um, yeah. But yeah, just Frisbee Rob. Perfect. Well, I'll have links in the show notes for that. Now, Rob, before I let you go, I've got a, just a couple of random questions I wouldn't mind throwing at you, mate, because we've had a great chat and I know people can be able to relate to something because I think Frisbee can relate to a lot of things in life. People aren't always going to be good at it. You may not pick it up early. Um, you can use it to connect with people. You can play it by yourself. There's so many different things that relate to things that I particularly think we need in life at the moment. So if you could look back at last year, 2020, what's one thing you learned from the highs, the lows, the roller coasters, everything we went through, what's something you learned about maybe about yourself, mate? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I learned. So it's been about 11 months since I first um, heard about this emotional intelligence community and the work that I'm doing now. And so it's been absolutely incredible learning what I didn't know. I didn't know. And, you know, so understanding how to share my emotions, understanding how to use those emotions to work through difficult situations, understanding how to have empathy for the person telling me the story instead of the person in the story. It's helping my relationships with my girlfriend, with my dad, my sister, with my friends. Um, dealing with difficult situations by just using emotional intelligence has been really powerful. Um, learning more about what I need versus what I want has also been pretty important, especially during COVID, because when the things are taken away from you that you were doing, it's like, okay, well, did I actually need that? Or was that something that I wanted? And then just adjusting those expectations as well. So if people want to, because obviously everything you just mentioned there is crucial for 
I don't know, probably building resilience for ourselves and people around us. Um, because at the moment, I think empathy is one of the biggest things that it's very easy to say empathetic, but are you really, are you really thinking about that person, seeing what the life's like through their eyes and giving them your full attention? It's not about you. So how did you get into, you know, the emotional intelligence? Where, where did this all start? Yeah, I was just a friend of a friend who told me about the program and it's changed a lot. It's they, they pretty much know where they're going, but in the beginning, it was almost like I was sitting in an airplane that was being built as it was flying. And so I wasn't really sure where we were going, but I trusted the people building that plane and putting the structure around. And every day, like we're spending three to six hours on Zoom, doing gameplay, having conversations. And, and every day I'm picking up something new, or I know that if I'm having a tough day or there's a tough situation, I can share that with people and there's no judgment. And so we're teaching people to have better conversations and ask better questions and not judging people, not telling somebody that they're wrong or, you know, what they're thinking is not valid. It's appreciating what they're saying and just how to have better conversations that you can take that off in your life. Um, and so, yeah, it's, if people want to find out more, um, just reach out to me and let me know and I can, I can send you more information, but it's something I think that it doesn't matter how, you know, we have games for kids as young as three and then, you know, for athletes and teams and organizations and parents and, it's uh, there's a lot of value. And for me, it's like you said, empathy is an easy word to say. Resiliency is an easy word, kindness, but what do these actually mean and where do they come from? And so if you're not, if you're not developing them, if you're not sure how to actually build them, you know, it's how do you actually understand them and bring them into your life? It's, it's a challenge. Mm, and, and like we spoke about earlier that um, life's changed and it may not go back. So it's really a good opportunity. If there was things in your life that, do you know what I mean? You, you may not have been so happy with or the connections you had that working on yourself in these times is something you can do. And one thing I, I just listened to there and I really agree with is that quality conversations come from quality questions. And um, I think at the end of the day, if you're really listening and you're asking good, engaging questions, that you are going to be more empathetic. You're going to be more resilient. And not only that, that's kindness because you're listening and you're caring, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's helping people. So when we play these games and we're basically practicing you know, using emotional intelligence, asking questions. So then when we go back to our, our partners, our family, our friends, we've now spent hours practicing this so we can bring it back to them and then help them out. And it's, it's really tough. Like if you're triggered, sometimes you expect the other person to just stop what they're doing, but it's healthy to deal with what, what's triggering you. And the better you can get at understanding your emotions and talking about your emotions, you know, you can more easily move through things. You can be more effective no matter where you're showing up in life. Um, so it's been, but yeah, it's, and just understanding like Mike Rowe, um, who's like, I don't know if Mike Rowe, if anybody in Australia knows who he is, but very, very interesting, um, celebrity. He's done a few shows like dirty jobs. Um, but he has, he has a, a clip where he talks about passion. And so he said, it's not so much to do what you're passionate about, but it's to bring your passion with you. And so for me, it's like, if I want to work with kids and I want to do sports, like for me to make a living throwing frisbees. That's not really what drives me. I've, I've tried that. I like teaching, getting paid to teach, but I, when I compete, I want to do that because I love doing it. It's my something I do for fun. It's an escape for me. So as much as I want to set world records for me to set my income based on how I'm performing, it's just not really something that interests me. Whereas there's other people who that is something that they want. They want to gauge their results on you know their income. But to be able to teach, I think that's something you do your entire life. And, uh, and competing as well in Frisbee, there's, you know, different age categories. Um, so I can keep challenging myself and 
actually a cool thing in Frisbee is because of the age categories, I have friends who hold, for example, the over 55 world record. And so, or the over 35 world record. So when I'm that age, I can compete against them in their prime at that age. So it's not possible for us to both compete in our prime at the same age because they're 30 years older than me, but they're setting records. So when I get to that age, I can try and beat their records. And it's, uh, it's really neat to have that ability. I like that because there's so many debates in so many different sports about who's the goat or the greatest, particularly in basketball, let's be honest, like with LeBron James and uh, Michael Jordan. Whereas actually you can do that in Frisbee when someone was at their prime, you've got their stats, their records, and you can go at it. Oh, I love that. I think that's fast. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And we use the same disc. So distance is tough because the disc technology has changed so much that discs from 20 years ago do not fly as far as discs today. But for the records that I'm doing, I'm using the same discs today that they were using, you know, five or 10 years ago. And so it is totally comparable. Um, and it's, it's just really neat because like you said, it's, you can't put LeBron on the court against Michael and the game was different. There's so many different factors and it's tough to, to really settle that debate. Whereas within Frisbee, it's having records and, and you're just trying to challenge yourself and give yourself something, a goal to go after. Mm, so true. Love that. So Rob, before I let you go, mate, what, what's the legacy you want to leave on the world? Obviously, you know, the world records, Guinness, doing all this amazing stuff. They're just getting started. What do you want to be remembered for? The legacy you want to leave? That's a tough question. I've never been asked that before. Hard at this point, I, yeah, I think at this point, I just want to be known as somebody who, you know, lived, um, lived authentically, who was someone that honest, you know, whether for, you know, positive or negative, um, a term that we talk a lot about in the emotional intelligence community is joy. So as being there in strength and weakness. And I just want to live my life with joy and, and have an impact on the people that I'm close to, but then, you know, playing that role of an ambassador and, and showing people it's possible with Frisbee. And so if there's people who can remember that one time that they, you know, had a workshop with Frisbee Rob and like you, you taught me or you threw a Frisbee really far and that was really cool. Um, I really think that's the legacy is just being able to show people, you know, how much fun it can be, whether that's them getting into Frisbee or them, like you had mentioned, talking um, about using Frisbee as an example to take to their own sport. I think that'd be pretty cool. Mm, I love that. So guys listening, it's episode number 231, Frisbee Rob, check him out, search him, watch his videos, reach out to him. And probably the biggest thing you can do if you've got a Frisbee at home, dust it off and go for a throw. I think that would be really fitting. So Rob, thank you so much for your time today, mate. Keep inspiring and doing what you're doing, buddy. It's, uh, I, I love it. Awesome. Thanks for having me on.